This morning we're going to continue <clears throat> our consideration of Christmas and the miraculous incarnation, putting on a flesh of the deity himself, and we're going to consider another gospel this morning. And I thought what we would do is we would consider the Gospel of Mark. And uh, the problem then becomes that Mark has no Christmas story. Um, he simply begins um, at the baptism of Jesus at the Jordan. And I thought, well, where, where's the, the, the Christmas story? He has no... No angels singing on high. He has no peace, no stables, no baby Jesus, no lowly mangers, no cattle or sheep in the field, no shepherds, no Mary and Joseph, no bright stars in the night, uh, no sugar cookies and pumpkin pie. And, uh, just, he has no Christmas story, whatever. Now, we do, if, if you want to include them in your nativity scene, according to Mark anyway, we do have plenty of... Uh, Plenty of demonic, uh, demon-possessed people. Right? They're they're running all over the place. You see them almost at every every time Jesus arrives somewhere. There he, he's met by somebody with an unclean spirit or the demon possessed, wrapped in chains or whatever. If you recall the story. He tosses or makes the demons called legion go into the pigs, and then the pigs run off the mountains. So we got pigs running off mountains. If you like that for your your Christmas scene, we got you know demoniacs sitting in, in the graveyard uh, wounding themselves, his father says, until Jesus, he, he tries to throw himself into the fire. And so we, we have that. We have a, a lot of illnesses and ailments and deformities and people being healed miraculously, and that's good. We have a lot of feeding of people in, uh, in Mark. And so in that way, it's sort of, sort of like the holidays, right? I don't know about your house, but um, mine wonderfully swells. When you know around the holidays, when Hayden and Amber come into town, and then when they're in town, we all get together, and that's such a joy. I mean, I just love that. But you know, so Jesus, he loves feeding people, but then he starts saying things to make them go away, which you kind of get too if, if your house has been really full for a while. And he says some of the, well, just the most disturbing things, this Jesus. I mean, I don't know if he's, he's kind of lost him in, lost on, on uh, Jesus or Mark at, as he writes the, his gospel, the Christmas story, because he pretty quickly just has Jesus going out into the wilderness to be tempted right after the baptism. And then there's so much confrontation going on here. And Chapter 8, by the time you get to chapter 8, about halfway through his gospel, he, he starts saying that he being Jesus, starts saying things like, uh, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and three days later, rise again. And you think, well, this was never taught at a church growth seminar. I mean, you talk about, this makes me look like a motivational speaker. I mean, this is just, you know, this is negativity. You get to uh, chapter 9, verse 31 again. He's teaching his disciples, telling them, the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. Now, is there something, anything unclear about that statement? 
It seems pretty pointed to me. It seems pretty blunt. I'm going to Jerusalem, be rejected, going to be killed, I'll rise again. It's pretty simple, but they didn't understand it. You get to chapter 10, and he starts teaching them the same things. Behold, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, and they will spit on him, and they will scourge him and kill him, and three days later, he will rise again. Now you would think, having given a little more detail, they would have gotten it that time, but James and John, what do they ask Jesus? We want you to do something for us. When you come into your glory, let one of us be on your right and the other on the left. What glory? He didn't say anything about glory. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die there. And yet they ask if they can sort of be in on that. They, they are not getting the point. And so where, where is the peace? Where's the hope? Where is Mark's Christmas story? You look around us today, I don't know. And I, I cannot figure out how, and I keep saying I'm going to, and I just don't, but I can't figure out how to get rid of MSN or whatever it is that's my drop-down window starter thing, or the homepage, whatever. And I call it just the, the page of terribles because it just gets, you know, one bad story after another. Especially this time of year, you would think, where is the peace? I mean, we, that's what we want, right? We Not just Miss America contestants want peace. Everybody wants peace. But you think, where's the... I saw an article, two, two grown men fighting in the parking lot over a parking place. Now, I would suggest it took more effort and energy to fight than it would to just park a little farther away and walk into the store. But anyway, they got into a brawl, apparently. You have a FedEx driver who hits a child with his truck and then strangles them. Because I guess that was, that's what you're supposed to do after you hit a child. Where, I don't know, it was on MSN. We have murder-suicides, got that for you. We got, uh, you know, the whole war... In Ukraine for you, we got that on the news. What else? The, the, the world, uh, the, the group that sets the uh, clock, to the doomsday clock, I don't know if you're familiar with this, they, they've moved it up now, uh, so we're like seconds away, but the doomsday clock from nuclear catastrophe and annihilation, so we got world-ending events for you, if you like that kind of Christmas. So we've got all kinds of unrest. You've got all kinds of busyness. I don't know about you, but uh, when I go, where I shop for groceries, uh, boy, you're feeling the season now, right? You go down and say, I need you know, a, a head of romaine lettuce. That would be $8, please. You've got to be kidding me. So we got that for you. we got some inflation. we got some unrest. Where's the peace? Because what we really want is we want to get to that time when we just sort of can lay back and all is right with the world. And, and here's what we need to understand. When we ask where the peace, where is it indeed? And the fact is, it's not coming. In fact, Jesus says this to us quite pointedly in the Gospel of Matthew. He says this, do not think that I came to bring peace in this world, because he didn't. And it's funny, it's, it's just so ironic to me, and I've said it before, but there are things in Scripture that, that we are pointedly told not to do, and those are the very things we do. 
I mean, he told his disciples, don't obsess on the end times, but that's what we obsess. That's what we want to know most about. You know, he says, uh, don't think that I came to bring peace. And yet that is what we always want. We want peace. And when we think of peace, we're not talking about peace between us and the Lord, which the angels were, by the way, when they said we bring unto you good tidings of peace and goodwill toward men. That's from God. Okay, He came to make peace between the saved and the Father, but not between peoples. He says, I didn't come to bring peace. In fact, the gospel will divide households. Fathers against sons, mothers against daughters, and brothers and sisters. He didn't promise us peace in this lifetime. And that's what we really want, though. And that's what Hallmark promises us, right? I mean, it, Hallmark's great about portraying just this picture of peace and calm. And I, I like it as well as, as you do, I suppose. I, it, the, the song Silent Night, Holy Night. All is calm. All is bright. Well, not in the Gospel of Mark. I mean, that's, that's more Luke. And we'll get there on Christmas Eve, by the way. We'll get there. But Mark is just, he's just he starts out down by the Jordan. So uh, I told somebody this morning, we are going to, to continue in our study of Christmases according to the Gospels. And we have the Gospel of Mark today, so it's a very short sermon. And there is... <laughs> I told somebody last week that uh, I was chatting with him before uh, Sunday school. I said, well, the longer I stay in here, the shorter that sermon's getting. And then they go, well, pull up a chair. <laughs> so, in any of it. Yeah, the Gospel of Mark, it really doesn't have one. So Merry Christmas. And you know, But I guess we should at least look. He starts down by the Jordan. And it seems to me that we need to understand why it is important, if it is, that Jesus is baptized. Because one of the things the Bible talks about in, in the New Testament is people were coming to John and they're being baptized in the Jordan for repentance. And the Jordan was seen as cleansing. I look in the Old Testament. The Jordan was always seen as a river of cleansing. And remember the uh, general uh, Naaman? Right, he came to the prophet Elijah, I believe. It may have been Elijah. Elijah, yeah. They go alphabetically, I do know that. So Elijah, he's got leprosy. You remember the story, he says, go, go wash yourself in the Jordan River. And so seven times he goes and washes himself in the Jordan River. So the Jordan River is this picture of cleansing from sin and, and repentance. And so John cries out, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He begins baptizing, he says, all of Jerusalem came out to see him. All of Judea came out to see him, and he was baptizing them. And he said, there comes one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I baptize you with water. But the idea was the cleansing of the Jordan. What a beautiful picture of redemption. What a beautiful picture of forgiveness. But then, Mark, we want to know why was Jesus baptized? He had nothing from which to repent. He had nothing for which to be forgiven. He had no sin. He had no uncleanness in him for which he needed cleansing. He didn't have to be baptized for the same reason that everyone else was being baptized. So why does he go to the Jordan to be baptized? You 
thing. And does it matter? Why wasn't he baptized somewhere else? Did they not baptize people in other places? No, it was important that he was baptized in the Jordan, near Jericho. And the reason is because it connects us to the Old Testament. The Jordan in Jewish tradition became synonymous with the idea of passing over. Specifically, it became synonymous with the idea of two things. Passing over into what? The promised land. And it became synonymous with the idea of passing over into Sheol and passing over into the next life. And so as Jesus enters the Jordan, it is important that it is the Jordan at that place because it is a picture of Christ entering into the final barrier before you get to the promised land. And very early, the, the church, the young church, began to equate this idea of passing over the Jordan into the promised land with death because that is the only way, as believers, that we get to the promised land, right? There is a river to cross. And you hear uh, a number of songs. Uh, a wayfaring stranger comes to mind. I'm just a wayfaring stranger. I'm, I'm just crossing over Jordan. We're making our way to the promised land. And the last barrier before the children of Israel could enter the promised land was the Jordan. And so it's seen not only as a, a river of cleansing and hope and redemption, but it's also seen as the final barrier, the final act which we must cross to get to the promised land. And so Jesus enters the Jordan to be baptized. And this is his Christmas story. See, in Mark, Jesus came to the earth for one reason and headed to one place. He came to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to Jerusalem to die. And the Gospel of Mark is so active. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. You read through the Gospel of Mark. It's a quick read because everything is immediately he went out, and immediately he was taken up, and immediately a dove descended, and immediately he was driven into the wilderness, and immediately the people came, and immediately. Everything happens so immediately in Mark. He uses the verb over, the adjective over and over and over. Because it's, it has this tension to it that he is moving from point A steadfastly, inextricably to point B. He is going from birth to death. And he moves so fast. But there is a moment or two where God speaks. And it is not coincidental that it is at his baptism at the Jordan. Now, I don't know if you've kept, kept track or, or ever looked it up, but uh, five times in Scripture, God parted waters. He parted the Jordan twice. Well, really three times. He parted the Jordan for Elijah and Elijah. Right before Elijah is taken up, they go down to the Jordan, the 50 uh, prophets are the 50 students, if you will, of Elijah are watching from afar and they see this happen. And it says that Elijah took his mantle and he folded it, his cloak, and he struck the waters with it. And when he did, the waters parted here and there. And he and Elijah crossed the Jordan on dry land. And then uh, there's an enigmatic, wonderfully mysterious scene where he sees the chariots of heaven 
I'm not even sure what what that would look like. Maybe Ezekiel gives us, gives us some idea. But anyway, the chariots of heaven. And Elijah cries out, Oh, my father, the chariots of heaven. And then it says, Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind. He never saw death. And then Elijah tears his garments, it says, he's lamenting great grief for losing Elijah, his friend. And then he too, he takes Elijah's, Elijah's mantle, he folds it up and he strikes the water and God again parts the Jordan and he walks back across on dry land. Well, that's the, the second event of such a thing happening. The first was with Moses. Well, actually Joshua. You look at Joshua chapter 3 and 4. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. And Joshua says the ark of the God of the entire world will go before you. And as soon as the 12 priests from the 12 tribes set foot into the water, it will part and you will cross on dry land. And that's exactly what happened. Now, what does all this have to do with Jesus being baptized in the Jordan? Because in Scripture, Moses is the hero. He is, he is like the father of fathers of the law, the covenant, the people. It was through him that they were led out of Egypt and were solidified as a nation of people. They became who they are through the leadership of Moses. Before that, they were a family clan. Father Abraham and his whole family. That's how they got into bondage in Egypt as a family. They left Egypt as a nation. And so Moses is, is the builder, if you will. Later in scripture, Elijah becomes a picture of the new Moses. Elijah is parallels Joshua. Jesus' Hebrew name is Yeshua, which is derived from Joshua. And you see what's happening is the picture of Moses parting the waters for the people entering the promised land is the picture of Jesus parting the waters so that you can enter the promised land. The picture of Elijah parting the waters is so that you can picture uh, uh, Jesus parting the waters for us as we enter into the promised land. And so as he goes down to the Jordan, you have to wonder, at least I did, why did the waters not part as soon as Jesus' toe touched the water? Why did it not part? Remember, we said that the Jordan came to symbolize crossing over into death. Moses didn't do that. Elijah, Elijah didn't do that. God parted the waters for them. But Jesus, he descends into the Jordan because he tastes death. The picture is this, as he's, as he's baptized in the Jordan, he's being put under the water. It is symbolic of his death. He is going to taste death. Something that as others, when God's uh, power was poured out, did not taste. He parted the waters for them, but it pleased the Father that the Son would taste death. It pleased the Father, as the Bible says, to crush the Son. 
In fact, he says after his baptism, you are my son and what? And with you, I am well pleased. What was God told me? Did he not know? Was he not pleased with Jesus up till that time? Of course he was. Did he not know who Jesus was? Of course he did. Then why does he now say with you I'm well pleased? Look at what has just happened. It has been a picture of the fact that the father is going to crush the son and then he is going to rise again. That's what baptism is a picture of. And so when he makes this uh, demonstration and he's baptized and then he rises from the death, if you will, from the Jordan waters, God says, I'm well pleased. This is what's going to happen. So God speaks. You know that Jordan, really since the time of Elijah, never parted again. It doesn't have to. Because he's not going to part the waters for us. To get to the promised land, we don't walk on dry ground. We taste death. But... Our Savior overcame death. He went down into those waters before you did. He became sin that we could be his righteousness. He became as death so that we could know life. He's not going to part the waters for us, but he's going to take us through them. And on the other side is the promised land. And so the idea that the Jordan is that he's standing on the precipice. of the promised land. We still have one more thing to do. You have to go across the Jordan. And he's not going to part the waters. So your choice is this. You can go across the Jordan alone and taste death all by yourself. Or you can cross the Jordan with a Savior who's already been there. Who's already risen from the murky waters of the Jordan? Who's already overcome death? Like, what a Christmas story. You know, the other time God speaks, I think it's interesting, and I don't think it's accidental. The other time we see God actually communicating verbally in a really direct way is Mark chapter 9 on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's interesting what, what God says. I, I've said this before because I just think it's so amusing because so, so many of us, myself included, we're, we're, so much very, we're so very much like Peter. We always have a plan. We always have an idea. We all have stuff we're going to do. And so Jesus is talking and, and Peter starts to interrupt him and say, oh, well, we're going to build you, a, we're gonna build you a, a little monument here. We're going to build a temple for you. We're going to build one for these two other guys. And, we're going, and he's talking about everything he's going to do. And God finally speaks. Right? Again, just like at his baptism, is that a voice from heaven said, this is my son, listen to him. In other words, stop going on, Peter, and listen to him. What was it that God wanted them to hear? Because the funny thing is, I was going to say the frustrating thing is, and I don't know if it's, Appropriate. I don't know if as a Baptist I can be frustrated with God's word. But don't you want to know what they were talking about? God says, listen to him. So now he has our attention and we're listening and they don't tell us what they're talking about. But the company 
is not accidental. Who's with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration? When Jesus is transformed, his glory is shown. Two other people show up. You know who they are? Moses and Elijah, who crossed the Jordan. What are they talking about? I think they're talking about going into the promised land. I think they're talking about how it is that Jesus is going to bring those in him to the promised land. See, they walked across the Jordan on dry land. Jesus went in, went in to the Jordan and rose out of it. And that's the point. Now, he doesn't start out as a babe in the manger in the Gospel of Mark. No, no, no. He starts out much, much more than that. He starts out conquering Jordan. And he offers to you and me and all those in him this Christmas gift, the promised land. You and I, as we cross the Jordan one of these days, will not do so alone. We'll be ushered across by one who's been there. One who knows how to overcome it. One who can usher you and I into the promised land. So, I suppose in some ways we can read the Gospel of Mark and think, where's, where's all the Christmassy kind of stuff? Only in this, what a gift. I don't know about you, uh, I've, got, I've had uh, the privilege to have been blessed by so many people. You, know, you get things for Christmas. I've, I've been given some marvelous gifts. I've never been given the promised land. Or have I? That's the gift we have. We're just not there yet. One more thing to do. Go down to the edge of the Jordan and meet the one who was baptized in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your goodness. Lord Jesus, that you would die for us. Oh God, that you would crush the sun on our behalf so that you could bless us unspeakably. So that we could safely cross the Jordan into the promised land. Father, help us to recognize the magnitude of the impact of your word when it says this life is but a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Hmm. So Father, we thank you for your willingness to carry us safely over, safely through, to eternal rest in the promised land. It's in the name of Jesus, the creator, sustainer, the redeemer of all creation, Father, 
the name above every name, the only name by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. Amen.